Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man with an attic full of empty preambulators. I am the Adam Glass. I love it that these intros are often very obscure references to the film we've just watched, but now you've made an obscure reference to the short film. No, one of the short no, films that is. No, his kitty make, tells a story oh, of yes, her like kitty her also play. Has... Uh, I. Unfortunately, right. I'm bad at saying. I think it's supposed to be. Pre, I can't say preamble. I want to make it say preambulator. Pre, but I think it's supposed I'm to be. I'm sorry. Pre. I was. I was misremembering the secret addicts. You're the, you're right. I'm the wrong. secret I'm addict. In the you're other sorry. one, you're is awake. a is yeah. a sad little private area where his brother had a diary. Where his ten year old brother lived yes. his own thoughts yes. in his own life and was just happy to be left alone, and was most yes. definitely not gay. <laughs> and most definitely not deserving to have been murdered. I mean, no matter uh, how stupid he was, he was not deserving to be murdered. Let's be, yes. we, we, we take a firm stance on not just murdering your siblings. Unless your sibling is Adolf Hitler. I mean, if the aristocracy wants to do it, maybe it's okay. Like, if they do it to themselves, is it justice? They're, they still have the means of production, man. That's what I mean. It doesn't change those. anything. The yeah. whole point of of eliminating the aristocracy is to eliminate them and remove their power he, yeah. he just perpetuated it um the good news is he's so evil that he presumably will drown those children too at some point those kids are fun. i mean to, to be fair that little boy already deserves it Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. We do a non-criterion film. Our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch off a list. Usually I put together, but sometimes I use uh, supporter suggestions for what we're going to watch as well. And if that happens, we try to get whoever suggested on the episode because it's always fun to talk to somebody yeah. about a movie they really like. I mean, it's just nice to talk to people. I mean, we're just so lonely. Us in our isolated sound booths with our microphones. Yeah, and we we live we live truly Unable. our ivory tower, as of yet, <laughs> unbreached. Thankfully, yeah, because those masses are trying. I to mean, get they in, really want sure. in, and who God only knows what they'll do once they get in. Fortunately, it's just so expensive to get into it. Ivory Tower these I days. I mean, really, I mean, the the Ivory Tower real estate market is just absolutely fucking out of control. For that dollar a month, you get uh, access not only to the new episodes, but also to the entire back catalog episodes. There's nearly 70 over there right now, because we've been doing that Patreon for a while. Pretty long time. Fun to watch movies that aren't in the Criterion Collection, though occasionally we have picked movies that end up in the Criterion Collection. Well, at least once. I mean, we only did it um, the one time. And frankly, safe. except for the most recent yeah. one, or pretty recently when we seemed to add, a, 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 like, a actively seek out making that happen on purpose. We're like, we'll pick a movie that they would definitely one. add at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is true. But we watched a, a good... Uh, just in the last two months, uh, really really an absolute nadir and apex um, as far as movies over there, right. too. Because <laughs> Pinocchio... Del Toro's Pinocchio is phenomenal, and that was our, our last bonus episode as of this recording. And prior to that, uh, we watched... Uh, 
Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which is literally the worst movie. You, you, which you did to me on purpose. You bastard. Not even, yeah, not, not even like ideologically, because obviously you have the emotional attachment to the Beatles. But that movie is just also very bad. Absolute trash. It is just just fucking garbage. Like, yeah, even if even if it had been like fucking Aerosmith or something, we'd have to be like, this is this is hot garbage. Oh, this is bad. Uh, but yeah, uh, even bad movies occasionally allow us to have fun. We don't. I mean, that one we've never wanted one to do them, a bad but, movie uh, podcast. That one wasn't even fun, though. It was just painful <laughs> yes, all the it way was down. Just terrible. I yeah. I only I'm think the Lord that through. my children decided to like be asleep or whatever. Like I forget what they did. They had yes. something else to do, and I was like, well, at least I didn't curse them with the the forbidden knowledge. <laughs> They intuited that this was not a thing. Right, they're they like, I'm I'm experience. smarter than daddy at this point. Fuck yes, this noise. Yes. I'm Good out. Good for them. Uh, that's all the $1 market. And we greatly appreciate all of our $1 supporters. It's really, they're our bread and butter help keep us going. We don't eat them, though. They're bread and butter in a, a much more uh, no. uh, rhetorical right. sense. Yeah. We don't eat you. If you rhetorical. sign up for the, the Patreon, we will not eat you. A promise from me to you. A little above that for folks can afford to help keep us going and help us pay those bills a little more. <laughs> pay the bills uh, a little more. Five dollars. That's a very funny. Pay sentence. those bills a little more. Um, at five dollars a month, uh, we like to thank those folks on air. So thank you so much to our current swath of five dollars supporters: Eric Coronado, Andrew Jarrett, Chris Otto, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Yes, a little you. above that, we do something pretty dang special. Yeah, we do. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard every month and write a little personalized note sending that off to our $10 and above supporters. So if you like bespoke art, which you do, a little personalized, almost unreadable note from me uh, because my handwriting is terrible. It's the charm, though. The charm is you also get a little visual puzzle in the mail. Yeah. What is Adam trying to tell me? Yes. Um, that's a lot of fun, though. I really enjoy writing them. Uh, really enjoy the challenge of trying to make each one at least a little unique. Uh, have a lot of fun with it. But yeah, we also like to thank those $10 supporters on air. So thank you so much to Jason Westaver, Nina Bosnack, Patrick Ocko, Tracy McGrath, and Adam Speakerman. Thank you all. If you want to check out those postcards or buy past postcards without having to commit to that $10 mark, head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. Our store will come up, and it's got most of the best postcards. Yeah, I mean. A few were taken down because uh, Tohai was like, hey, your Godzilla is too close to actual Godzilla. And also, I mean, I don't even, I at this point count. am not convinced your Godzilla has to look like real Godzilla to get, like, suited. Oh, no, no. I think you, you pretty much talk about it. You just basically have to have, you know, Maybe a little whiff of if you Godzilla use the word Godzilla in conjunction yeah, with your probably yeah. yeah probably the words triggered it more than anything. For being yeah, honest, yeah probably. Anyway, so if you have been taken down over the years, uh, which is unfortunate because some of my favorite pieces of artwork the Pat's ever done were among those taken down. Yeah, but I, they've been getting pretty good though good recently, ones. so we're probably okay. Yeah, plenty of very good ones still up there, and the last the last couple I've been very impressed with. I really love. Uh, particularly the monkeys one. I, I that is you know, maybe my favorite. Like that is my two. my num maybe number two only behind behind super sad Doctor Man. Yes, uh, yes. It's maybe Classics. the only one that uh, that 
that outperforms. Yeah, another one that was has never been challenged. Oh no, really no, who God only knows who owns the rights to that nonsense. I mean, Criterion right, does right, presumably. Right. Thank you so much to anyone who has purchased anything off of Redbubble. Thank you so much to anyone who has supported us over the years on Patreon, and thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you, Pat. We got we got an interesting movie. This yeah, week. we do. It's very uh, meta. It's a very meta movie. Yeah. I'm going to say meta yeah. a lot meta. in this episode. Not because I need to, but because I kind of feel I, like it. I often like a good movie about the creative process. Right. Uh, what makes this one especially interesting is from, it's from Mike Lee. Do you remember the only other Mike Lee movie we've seen? Adam, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. I know that's true. Uh, we watched Naked uh, a while back. Which one was Naked? Uh, Naked is the one where David Thewlis, with a big bushy mustache, wanders the streets of London all night. How do I not? Uh, oh, right. Okay. That's, and, and like, uh, just kind girl, of, wa- yeah, wanders in and out of, kind of yeah. slackers, but for drunk old men kind of thing. Is that yeah, kinda... yeah. No, that's that's sort of how you described it at the time, too. So it was uh, spine number 307, by the way, so it was. Uh, Eight million years ago. Probably about five years ago. It certainly, certainly had its, uh. Dark comedy charms, uh, but a pretty dour movie. So when I found out that we were watching a Mike Lee movie, same director, uh, about <laughs> that that also doubles as a Gilbert and Sullivan biopic, <laughs> I was confused. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I was too because my my main concern was I wasn't sure what the tone was going to be. Right, right, right. Because. In yeah. theory, the basically the same story could be significantly less comedic and significantly more dark, if you want. Oh yeah, yeah. You could have made this much much darker than Mike Lee has actually. Made. I assume somebody um, wants to do that in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, someone's out there doing it now. Um, <laughs> the dark underbelly of Gilbert That's, and Sullivan. I mean, if which you, I mean this. It, this is about showing the dark it is, under, but it, but it has that theater, sort of. But. I would, would, would call it a sort of British sense of humor about the whole thing, with regards to like, you know what I mean? There's this sort of like the dark underbelly can also be very, very funny at the same yeah. time, and uh, yeah, it's very successful that way. I would say, yeah. But yeah, it is. Uh, it is the story of the creation of the Mikado. Uh, one of Gilbert and Sullivan's most famous works, uh, for better or worse. <laughs> um, we'll talk more about the actual play next week because we'll wa- be watching a film adaptation from 1939. The first Gilbert and Sullivan film adaptation is of the Mikado and is the film we'll watch next week. Um, directed by Victor Schertzinger, which is absolutely w- will not matter. This is one of the, this is one of those rare Criterion entries where where the director is basically nobody, and it's in here not because of who directed it, not because of who shot it, not because of who uh, did anything about it, except for the fact that it was a the first Beholder and Sullivan movie musical, and b it should be a bonus feature on this week's episode. Right? Probably. Yeah, it really but, probably. I mean, like. I'm glad it's not because I really don't want to watch two full length movies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it would have been But it would have made a lot of It would of have been sense. too much material. Yeah. Uh, I and I'm really frankly um, kind of, I mean, you know, the Criterion collection has moods. Uh I wouldn't say that it has any sort of definable purpose, but it certainly has moods. 
And sometimes it feels like somebody's like, you know what? You know how we can maximize profit off of our of our, 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 our copyright acquisitions? Let's split this into two two separate discs. We could very clearly yes. acquire these two things at the exact same time because they are the same fucking thing. <laughs> no, one's one's the fictionalized making of the thing. Right, I yeah, but like you very clearly somebody got a bug up their butt and acquired both of them probably within yeah. minutes of each other. Um although yeah, who knows? I mean the nineteen thirty one maybe, maybe, maybe they criterion. didn't have to do anything for it. That may have been beyond copyright anyway. Yeah, I think there might there is probably a chance that Criterion uh, acquired both of these with the with the intention of putting the Mikado as a bonus feature. Yeah, on. I think that's very likely actually. on this one, and then they realized they had enough material to make it two separates, uh, and Criterion being a company. Uh, <laughs> Instead of instead of making a double disc release, just release the movie. Well, as, I mean, I I, uh, I understand the argument that them be what what with them be a, a uh, profit seeking entity, um, but yeah. at the same time, I don't know it's necessarily the best choice, right? Because they they you know, companies fuck this shit up all the time, right? Yeah, I wonder how often the Mikado actually in the past gets bought as its own where... independent item. You yeah. know, that's not a very compelling. Offer. Now there is. There's as I already we haven't watched the Mikado yet. We don't know how 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 great it stands on its own, and there is there is the importance of it being the first Gilbert right, and, 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 and seems to be movie as far as that renditions is, of that has like famous people in it, famous like yeah. performers, a famous play like troupe performing it. Yeah, right. I, I don't know. I just feel like when you kind of think about the Criterion Collection, like sort of like what things are or are not people going to shell out their money for. It does feel like something like this is going to kind of get put on like maybe a second tier list of like, well, right, I mean, right, right. when I got when it's on sale. Yeah, isn't Technicolor? Uh, yeah, I mean, know, we have that like I'm 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 not not looking forward to it because I've never actually seen the Mikado as a play. Um, yeah, I was familiar with it in like <laughs> very for good broad strokes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're like but, I said, we are going to save. That conversation for next week because that will both be most yes. certainly be the cultural. entire conversation next week. <laughs> cultural, yes, cultural critique of the Mikado. We will save <laughs> save for next week. Um, this week we can we can talk about well what this movie shows us, which is it's one thing I found really fun about Topsy Turvy is that uh, because we get we get enough shots of the opera in progress and of other operas. Uh, other uh, Gilbert and Sullivan work through the through Acts One and Two, Princess Ida and the Sorcerer. Uh, that this also functions as a movie musical. Um, it does in, in a very in a very meta way, right? In a very kind of um, yeah. and confusing way. <laughs> and we get that seemingly only only included to make sure this got an R rating scene of the uh, of the French prostitutes performing a song. <laughs> Why? Wow, yeah, that is a weird well, one. Well, and performing a song from. Uh, Tales of Hoffman. Uh, yeah, it seems like it's just in there. Like you, it does feel as you said. I think it feels like, like we want to make sure everybody knows that solvent fucks. Like, yes, I don't know. It's like we. It's, it's very. It's it's which, a. Key, which the it's movie has already gone us. out of its way to let us know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
it movie really drives home Sullivan's a Sullivan's a womanizer very much. Um but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh Mike Lee's process is very interesting particularly to this. Uh so I want to talk about that okay. for a little bit. Because Mike Lee, Mike Lee's process and Gilbert and Sullivan's process is very different, despite the fact that Mike Lee is making this movie to sort of explore the creative process. Um Mike Lee would come up with a story idea and, or does, I mean, he's not dead. He's still making work. So <laughs> shouldn't talk about him in the past tense right now. Um, but he, his process is one of getting, hiring all of his actors uh, and having them improvise the script basically. Okay. It's a long and arduous process. I imagine so. Um, yeah. And particularly with, you know, with a period piece that has over 80 a- named actors in it, um, that makes it even more of an arduous process, right? Uh, so, so he gets everybody together with ideas about you know, what the subject's going to be, what the characters are going to be, you know, general ideas about the plot and, and what is taking place. And then hires all the actors and spends months developing the script through improvisation. And in this particular case, through research as well. Well, I mean, you would have to, right? Um, like that. That's why I found, like, right. I was a bit taken aback because that process doesn't seem to... Uh align very smoothly with um a historical like a story of <laughs> historical, historical fiction biotic. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um especially historical fiction that's trying to trend closer to non-fiction right, yes, than yeah. fiction uh yeah yeah um yeah so so because of that you know mountains of research that the actors are doing themselves that that um uh that Lee's research team is doing and bringing, bringing to production. And yeah, what's, what's really fascinating to me is what that means is these people have to be, these actors have to be so into their character to be able to improvise in a, as Victoria. I I can't, I cannot fucking conceive of that. It is so, yeah, it seems so unnecessarily hard. Like I understand like why you would do it, but like, it seems like you're burdening your actors so much. Like maybe they all really yeah. enjoyed it and it's fun. It's a fun way to do it. But man, it really seems like, hey, I've come up with the hardest way to do this. Hey, you got you guys up for it? Right. Get this. Yeah, get I this can... shit I cooked up. Let's do it. We, you know, we've talked about Casabetas. We've talked about people who improvised film. Right, but that's and, different you know, because the time... none of those are historical. Like sort of meant to be historical. Right, right. They're uh, improvising. Works. They're still playing characters, but they're improvising in the vernacular of their day. Right, right? their <laughs> own know, vernacular. They're, they're, they're improvising own... in the speech patterns that they might use, or, or at least a sort least of be familiar with invented one. Right, like I mean, you sometimes get like the like yeah. some guy playing a a person who is from X or doing X, and it's sort of comedic or something. Right, right. But the thing is, that's that's wholly invented. No one. Yeah. You're not you're not referencing a real person. 
about whom people might know things. Yeah. So that seems risky. Um, I don't know that I would want to do that. I could I could imagine a world where uh, it could seem fun. It still seems like a way a lot of work. Mike Lee, in one of the bonus features, alludes to the fact that to to facilitate this, they uh, you know they made sure everybody had access to the research. Uh, that people were able to live their characters while improvising. To, uh, to, uh, he, he even says culinarily at one point, to su- suggesting that uh, the food they were eating was, was time period appropriate as they were improvising. It just seems like well. you're making it yeah. worse. Like you're not making it better. You're making yeah. it like more arduous for almost no conceivable reason. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I kind and, of don't you know. understand, like, why you would do it this way. Like, I mean, in, in all seriousness, like, I know it's this process, whatever. But, like, you know, you, in theory, know what the story of Gilbert and Sullivan writing the Mikado is because it is a documented thing. Right. So you could just, like, write the script. Yeah. But then again... And then it wouldn't have that like that that improv genetic wow. Right. Another an interesting aspect to the sheer amount of research that that's going in here and to make sure everything is historically accurate is that Mike Lee is also trying to make it historically accurate to the story that Gilbert and Sullivan tell about the creation of the Mikado. Right. Which is certifiably false. Right, yes. I mean that's yes. But like <laughs> that is that's the fun of it, right? That that's that's where the fun yeah. comes because telling a legitimate story, like you know, doesn't really yeah. sound very fun. But yeah, and obviously, obviously he's embellishing it with real life details that Gilbert and Sullivan never would have brought up, right. If they were interviewed about the creation of the the Mikado, but like the Japanese exhibition at Knightsbridge did not occur until after the Mikado right. was being written. Like <laughs> historical fact, the timeline does not line up. Gilbert was not inspired by the falling of a sword that he bought at the Japanese expedition to begin writing the Mikado because he began writing the Mikado a month before the Japanese expedition opened. Right. Uh, or months before the Japanese expedition opened. Um, and I guess uh, the Japanese expedition itself is something that maybe, I don't know if we need to save that for next week or not, but it's uh, a fascinating I'm torn by it because... Too. Yeah. Like I think it I think it plays better in this one. I, it probably so does because it is central it to this one. Yeah. It's central yeah. to this movie's commentary on the inherent orientalism. Like yeah. we're we're gonna run into a problem because we will absolutely step on our own toes for tomorrow for next week. But like you know, Lay is doing oh, yeah. some this... interesting things commenting about like the sort of inherent this sort of inherent Orientalism, yeah. and and how it is the, a dom- a predominant attitude at the time, uh, right? Both in your in England and in the con on the continent, like it is, and very specifically an Orientalism geared around like around Japan because China's old hat at this point. You see, fascinatingly right. enough, right. you see the evidence of China being old hat in his in the decorations for his study. Like you right. see the remnants of like we don't that that fad has passed, and now here we are. Yeah, 
yeah, and this is it's a movie that uh, is definitely interested in letting us know everyone's opinion about British imperialism, mm-hmm. uh, which which I I welcome. No, no, it's anybody the, commenting on British imperialism, and e- even in the sense yeah. where you like decide like to make a few people pro British imperialism and show how much of an ass they are, always good. Yeah, um, it's yeah. always the, uh, always welcome. The the three actors having lunch together. Where the where the Irish guy was like, oh, by the way, uh, the British massacred a whole bunch of people. While you're complaining about this massacre of one British guy, yes, yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. the, yeah, the so British one, literally yeah. killed dozens of Irish families six months ago. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's just really. Though I think he's Scottish. It's, it's really smart. Not that that matters so, because also colonial, yeah. like oh, the character might be Scottish. I, yeah, yes. the character's meant to be Scottish, but he's commenting about. Uh, Irish, uh, so the imper- yes. the uh, colonial efforts in Ireland, but yeah, yes, yes. Um, in any case, yeah, yeah, and then dealing with the the Orientalism is its own. Well, know, I mean, bulk he's of like specifically last target, half of this movie. targeting yeah. it. Like it, it is, it is a fascinating thing because uh, like we're gonna have to talk about the actual play next week, but like. You know, Lay yeah. is, is making commentary about like about that here, and like and and really right, and doing an interesting thing, right? Because uh, he's commenting about how kind of like you know, it, it's really fascinating because there's there are lots of stories about how much uh, they got help, for, you know, Gilbert got you know got the advice from like Japanese people visiting and stuff like that, and like. This is meant to sort of be a a, um, so a right. lampoon to of sh- that idea to show that that's a falsehood too, right? right? No, I mean, it, unfortunately, Lee can't can't not also fall into the trap himself, right? Because he picks these three, uh, you know, these four people that 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 are a strange. How do I explain this? Oh boy, um, he falls into his own trap, alas. Because yeah. he wants to show how stupid the idea that Gilbert got help making this 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 wildly un this wildly orientalist production that like is uh that like in theory is being true to like to at least Japan Japanese like fashion and stuff. Like, you know how false that yeah. is. But then in doing so he has to give a representation of Japanese visitors to England at the time as being like these guys like I mean you see the characters in the movie like and yeah. and well, like the the almost immediately with the major restoration Japan started shipping former samurai overseas to like be trained in, and 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 the new bourgeoisie to be trained in uh various arts and also to like spread the the the, the kind of good word that Japan is an, is an open country that you can do tr- trade with. They're not sending, you know, the, the exhibition, I don't know much about that exhibition. I'm sure that they did get those exhibitions. It did is, also it is my understanding that the expedition was a, was a Dutchman who essentially kidnapped hundreds of Japanese I can also people. believe that. That is also very yeah. believable. My point is there are Japanese who speak very good English attending universities and 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 participating in British society at this yeah. point. It, 
the idea that there's like it might be more accurate nobody like this like weird thing we're like well we we we, we then also yes. kidnapped these <laughs> right. former kidnapping victims and then just right. like it might be impossible to talk to them yeah it might be more accurate to describe it as uh as uh human trafficking the kidnapping necessarily that's that's sometimes a very fine line but I can't speak to whether or not these Japanese people wanted to end up in Britain. I can, I I did read that they were clandestinely smuggled into England and lived in the expedition hall during. That's the fascinating because, like, I mean, like I said, like Japan is 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 completely open to open for trade right. and everything like that at this point, right? So it almost has to take on us. I have to imagine it takes on a bit of a kidnapping vibe yeah. because you didn't yeah. need special government permission to this is eighteen eighty something, right? Eighteen eighty Yeah, eighteen eighty five. Eighteen eighty five. At that point you don't need special government permission as a Japanese person to travel abroad anymore. Like you can just do yeah. it. And then presumably I mean yeah. maybe England does because England being a racist shithole, uh <laughs> perhaps you did need special need to be smuggled into England. I suppose that's possible. Yeah. But then you're going to put on a giant yeah, exhibition know. in front of everybody? That seems like the opposite of that. I don't know a lot about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, obviously yeah. they're calling attention to themselves. Like I so. like my my kind of main point with this was just this like I I feel like he does fall it to a certain extent in his own in his own quagmire because he needs to represent Japan these Japanese in order to get his point across about Gilbert, he needs to then Yeah render the the Japanese people he's using completely hapless, right? Completely, you know, completely disempowered. And, and like, maybe maybe they are at the time uh, in this situation, but it still feels, feels also kind of uh, icky, too. Right, right. And the... The fact that the... Where we see, particularly, he's brought in folks to... Uh, to advise for the for the scene with the three women. None of none of the people there speak English. I love the I love the pianist who says, tries to speak to him in French, or Italian, <laughs> Italian, which is even is even easier. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's it is very silly. It, it is, and and like. He's right on that point. If they don't, they don't speak English. They probably won't speak Italian. He's not right in his reasoning there, but he is right. They probably don't speak. Yeah, Italian. they probably don't speak Italian. Um, I but, mean, they might have a decent yeah. shot with Dutch, but the, you know who the fuck speaks yes. Dutch? <laughs> right. A whole right, bunch right. of Germans who can I kind yeah. of half-ass their way through it. That's who and speaks like, Dutch. He's invited them as as experts, and he doesn't even know her real name. He's still calling her Miss Miss Sixpence, please, the entire time. Like just fuck you, buddy. Well, I mean, I, it is meant to lampoon Gilbert, right? Like it is meant to make right, him right, right, to show just how 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 deep his appreciation for Japanese culture actually goes, right? Right. Because right, how it's a visual, it's a visual aesthetic where he doesn't even bother to learn real names, which we'll talk about next week when we talk about the names of the characters. Well, and we'll <laughs> and, and they're all yeah, exactly ridiculously bad. We will, and uh, and we will talk and, about how those relate to. A, 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 yeah. a kind of problematic sort of thing where he's is trying to lampoon British society, but like he's doing it like you could have put it anywhere. You could have just put it in a made right, up place. Right, right, you didn't right. have to put it in a real place. It's basically the the heart of right. the argument. You picked a place that so yeah. far away in your mind that you think it's basically not real. 
Um, right. So on a sort of meta meta thing, this is all in here to show Gilbert's supposed fidelity to realism and his strict his well, strictness and, and, about and realism. how that is horseshit. And how how that's horseshit. <laughs> yeah. Very um, specifically, but, I think on a meta, we, to give Lay credit, it is to the goal is to show how much of like kind of like how their the mythos around these guys is just this right. it's just weird yeah. garbage water. Right. Yeah. Uh to a meta thing I already complained about, you know, how how this movie itself buys buys the myth of the Knightsbridge connection. So it's not necessarily that Gilbert or that that Lee didn't know that. It's just that he's also willing to. Uh, I think for the fun, he likes fun, the narrative well, of, of of it though, right? Yeah. It, it it makes for a better story for his movie, right? Right. To just buy it, yeah. whether or not it's true or not, and it does because it's it's a stupid mythos. The sword fell. It didn't even hit him on the head. He could have at least been hit on the head with the sword. I like that because the then it could have all a been vision. a dream. <laughs> Yes. Which is my yes. favorite, my favorite answer to any question, right? That that really just serves to show Gilbert's lack of writing ability. Uh, ultimately, uh, that he didn't have himself hit on the head with the sword right, right. in the creation myth in the, yeah, of the Mikado. in his own mythos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, like I don't, I ha- I cannot say that I have ever seen any Gilbert Gilbert and Sullivan production all the way through. Oh, certainly not all. The I way have through. no I'm idea how familiar good with... or bad they are. Yeah, my impression uh, is not improving. If I is is what I will say, it is. It is not that they're bad. They are, you know, they are famous for a reason. They are very entertaining comic operas. Um, as Lee points out in one of the bonus features, I think in in the conversation with the, uh, I can't remember who it was, um, but. Uh, but as Lee points out, these guys are incredibly good at what they were doing and incredibly intent on making a good product. But it was a cash-making venture, and also it was incredibly trivial. Yeah, I mean, it, you really... You know, they're putting... Yeah, and he does convey that very well in here, right? Like, even when, yeah. like, you know, Sullivan is, is out because he's like, oh, I don't want to make this garbage anymore... It's still kind of a nothing burger because, like, he comes back for a thing that's not less trivial in yeah. the grand scheme that's of in things. The, uh, yeah, that, that bit's in the featurette uh, from 1999, that little 10-minute bit that's also on the DVD here um, that came out with the with the movie's original release. Um, but, yeah, just <laughs> I respect that they did put all this effort into it. But uh, but Lee's approach here is that it's just hilarious that they put all of this effort into it because because the final products are always just so dumb and so like, right like, like you Pirates could put Penzan, like like twenty percent of the effort in and get like ninety yeah. percent of the result right and like half the time even the songs I'm sure you're familiar with like like you know. I, Modern Major General. It's the one that everybody is familiar with, and I am too. Yeah. And basically, you know, I know a little right. bit of like the, and it's, you know, just random things here and there. It's pretty indicative of Gilbert's uh, lyric writing. I mean, my it's big takeaway is, the does rhymes everything are, need the rhymes to rhyme? Dumb. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. Please yeah. stop. You're yeah. giving they're me like, a headache. They're like, they're like all A-B-A-B. Uh, 
And, you know, it's the words on the rhythm that might as well be gibberish, which is, you know, one thing one thing that this movie does sort of show is when when Gilbert falls in love with the little no theater bit that he watches, and that's that's a point of inspiration, too. You know, I think we're meant to recognize that he has no idea what's what's being said. Right. And it's just the rhythms and the actions and the body language that is selling what this play is about to an English speaking. It would audience. be it's worth noting it's not no theater. They are watching Kabuki, which is uh, right. which it's is not, is it's not no, is, I'm sorry. Which is yes. interesting. Like I found that all very interesting actually because I don't know when the sort of reformation of Kabuki happened. Because Kabuki was mm-hmm. low art, okay? Like like yeah, very popular. Like Kabuki theater is the Gilbert and Sullivan of Japanese performing of art. Japan. Okay, yeah. it is it is massively popular for and like, but like not high. I mean, now it is because you know, similar to Gilbert and Sullivan, it's gone through a similar rarefication where like now it is it is do- a dominant uh, sort of cultural mainstay. But it's they're like soap opera tales. They're like like right more intense than soap opera tales like there's like murder incest rape like really just like it's just like all over the map people getting stabbed all the time they're coming back to life and shit it it is i mean it's not it's not gilbert and Sullivan because it they are sometimes they are comedic but it's it's right. it's relatively lowbrow stuff that has been sort of like through the sort of cultural process been rarefied since then. I just don't know when that happened by. I don't think by 1885 they had really done that yet. Seems unlikely. Because my understanding has always been that that's been a, a, has been a process that happened even later than the, much past the major restoration as a sort of like, I mean, a sort of all traditional Japanese cultures, like all culture is high art sort of, Probably post World War Two phenomenon more than anything. Actually, I looked it up. That one sounds time like a mid-century. There was a guy. There's a really famous project. Kabuki performer who it was very was largely responsible for that. I cannot remember his name. I did read an article about this one time. Um, but like my point is, is by at this point they're just shipping Gilbert and Sullivan to Gilbert and Sullivan is what I'm saying. Right, right, like right, equivalently. Right. Yeah, uh, and and Gilbert's. Gilbert's reacting to it in the exact same way that all his writing is. It's essentially gibberish tied to the rhythm. Right, right, right. <laughs> and just a bunch of people doing weird, like, pretty intense motions, right? Uh, it would have right. been, if he had watched no theater, he would not have been inspired at all. I mean, he might have been because it is, it is, very, right. it is very artistic. But also, yes, even more incomprehensible. Yeah, but if this movie is to believe, be believed, Gilbert, Gilbert isn't the one of the pair that's interested in high art at all right 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 he's he's interested in having the same magic formula in four different places right so hey you know what like gilbert and sullivan the marvel of their day uh yeah absolutely right like really like we know what sells we're going to keep making that thing right uh i think it's in the bonus feature with uh with lay and uh gary yershin the musical director uh, who also plays the pianist in the uh, in the prostitute scene um, with a wig on because he was very bald even then. Um, they point out that uh, just the audacity of billing themselves as Gilbert and Sullivan, just mononyms as if, you know, <laughs> and such generic names too. It's not like Gilbert and Sullivan were not. <laughs> right. You know. Common, common um, family names, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 
um someone in one of the bonus features compared them to like the Andrew Lloyd Webber of their day and I don't even know if I believe that because Andrew Lloyd Webber at least pretends to make high art sometimes well I I I think like despite his failings at least kind of maybe might be interested in hoping that that outcome happens yeah yeah but also but also it doesn't seem to me like there's any point that Andrew Lloyd Webber has actually achieved the cultural Marvel movies is the much better comparison here right, right? I I, I do think it is it is no like one, no one would have been able to do that because while while Andrew Lloyd Webber is similarly making light operas uh often um we're talking we're talking about a pop culture phenomenon that is beyond what a musical or an opera can reach right in today's world right i mean and that yeah. it, that, and that is just a function of of like the changes in society right but like um yeah you comparing it to other you know stage performances is not is not e- even the most popular stage performance at this point doesn't have the reach of 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 even a f- modestly successful film. Certainly longevity on a stage is something comparable, you know. Um and Andrew, uh, you know, Cats, Cats ran forever. Yeah, right? yeah. No, so, I mean, I'm not I'm not making a but, comment about <laughs> Weber. It's more like um Yeah. Cats well, has I a, only, Cats I is only f- say that to com- phenomenally well known, but like in terms of like n- I don't know. It just it's it feels different still. Yeah, I guess there's what I mean to say is maybe there's really nothing exactly comparable because even in today's media landscape, even very popular film can get memory hold pretty quick if the streaming service decides it's not making enough money, or they would make more money if they could take take the tax write off of getting rid of it. Right, or or their uh, new tactic, which is just selling it to other other streaming platforms. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, I maybe, but I would say that, like, that's kind of why Marvel was my go-to here because, like, right. Marvel is the only thing that, like, try your hardest, you basically can't actually have avoided it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you right, could try, right. uh, but you probably will have failed because it's it's damn near impossible to avoid. You know what I mean? Like you're just it's just impossible basically. You know, you can't you can't have done it. Um pure like oh, no matter how much you don't want to see. You you know like the names that care like bear in mind that like x number of years ago I, I kind of lost track of time as a sort of linear concept, but like <laughs> naming Marvel hero like it's a joke in other movies from previous time periods because right. like people who know the names of Marvel characters are fucking losers. <laughs> yes. And then now you get to the point where we're at we're at a point where you have to know their names whether you've ever seen one of those movies or not. Right. You have to you have to know their relationships, you know. It's it's one of in the in the stratification of streaming services um there's the aspect that 
Marvel movies are one of the few things that like a good chunk of the English speaking world all watch. Although I mean, and and, and then and the, the, and much the, like your Gilbert and Sullivan's, that even will wane and has already started to wane, right? Like right. people oh, have yeah, finally certainly, like certainly. they're like, nope, this cultural phenomenon has has run its course, and now we are just winding it down. Right, which right, I think right, is right. that's I to me that is always really interesting how that stuff all sort of works, right? No matter how dominant some element of of air quotes artistic expression is, um, it it has a shelf. Yeah, life. but but after an initial strong run, they are turning toward Orientalism, just like Gilbert and Solomon. Yeah, I mean, so. well, it's it is the great <laughs> untapped repeats. wellspring, right? Like it's like I know what we can do. We can be. We can do Orientalism. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, I will say that uh, the in, the difference between the two forms of Oriental Orientalism is that Gilbert and Sullivan's Orientalism is not, in at least in some part, motivated by a desire to get people of Asian descent to watch their movie or to watch their portfolio. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's not making it better, but a, a, a right, huge right, part right, of the org right. the, the this this modern sort of um, you know Disney bent towards a, a kind of a kind of strange Orientalism is 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 an effort to tap untapped in markets in terms of uh, in terms right. of uh, you know sort of yes yeah market wherever the Knightsbridge expedition actually fits into the timeline here. Gilbert and Sullivan are just tapping into a a the zeitgeist. Uh, it, it is a it is yeah it is a, that's that's been going on for for at least twenty years by that point since since Japan opens its borders in the fifties the eighteen fifties well the the eighteen sixties England but, has but been, like or eighteen sixties but yeah I mean it, that, that, to, bear, to be fair that is a relatively slow that is a trickle process it doesn't happen like overnight oh yeah certainly. and so. You know, they're probably looking eighteen eighty five. They they've definitely gotten envoys. There have definitely been like Japanese envoys to Eng England is one of those countries that like Japan hits up almost immediately. Um it it just is. Like they, they used to have a trading relationship forever ago before that the you know, seclusion and and their the end of that trading relationship is on basically on the fact that um, England had to fight a war with Spain, so they didn't have any money to yeah. do expeditions to uh, to Japan. But like my 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 point is is that um, it is a grow it, it is a growing uh, fad for quite a long time in England, France. Japanism sweeps the nations, uh, if you will, right uh, during this time. Right, it is incredibly popular. You see, you see, ra and what you see the the thing that Gilbert and Sullivan are representative of, to me at least, is the thing that happens in other fields, which is the rapid uh, rapid appropriation and and repurposing of the thing, the aesthetic elements of Japan for commercial use. Right, you see a sort of rapid uptake of, um, for example. English uh, ceramics manufacturers duplicating Japanese art or like their interpretations of Japanese art styles, right, and selling them, right. Your 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 various Japan or er, uh, English 
porcelain manufacturers start start doing that almost immediately, right? Um, you see that with the uh, garment industry, right? You see a, a rapid sort of like, oh, mm-hmm. we're going to make. They will call them Japanese prints, but they will they are at best Japanese inspired prints, right? Um, we, you know, and and Gilbert and Sullivan are are indicative of that of that here, right? They we see them doing that. Purely calling on aesthetic right. elements and, and sort of deeming right. it uh, authentic Japanese, and then trying to get this uh, air of approval from Apple, actual Japanese people, right? And then and yeah. then I I think to a certain extent in 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 conjunction with sort of Lay's sort of argument here is I think that's all nonsense. I think I think honestly the turnaround on the idea that like this sort of level of appropriation is maybe not great is quick enough that they're they're still alive and people who saw these plays like yeah. performed are still alive to like try to do apologensia right they start like trying to like i i imagine that's as much a myth as anything else you, you yeah. know what i mean because and lady just chooses to like kind of talk about that in a kind of like sort of um satirizing way right but like right really you're you're talking about like this is i i if this actually happened i'll eat my hat <laughs> you know yeah like there's no way no way in fuck like even though this is like just a dramatization like i suspect none of it ever happened right somebody got a hold of some of those books that they made because the french and the dutch were publishing them like fucking wildfire like all the time, those like the books of like Jap- various Japanese aesthetic stuff. You got a hold of some of those books, and like that was his, the the sole. My guess would be the sole extent of his like sort of research into like that kind of stuff, right? Right, particularly if he's doing it prior to the expedition. Right, actually yeah, happening. yeah, uh, absolutely, and, and like even yeah. even to say this was inspired by the ex- exhibition is to lend it an, an air of more authority than it actually right. had. Yes, right, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I can't, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see it next week uh, in action, but what we see of it in this film, I cannot imagine any performance of three little maids has ever been accurate to how Japanese no no certainly not in that like, situation, i mean right? there i mean we get down to like the, so to get down to core elements here calling them schoolgirls is like just a patent like yeah. invention right like what are you talking about like yeah what what <laughs> what what are you ta- what japanese like Women in the in that era, do you imagine were like, I I don't know, man. It's again, I there are arguments to be made with regards to like, you know, the primary goal was to like satirize British culture, and that's all very understandable. I understand that, but like, and then like references to Jonathan Swift, right? But like, the problem is, is like Jonathan Swift had the decency to put his shit in made up places. Right now, did it bite him in the ass? Yes, because everybody decided they were children's stories. But he did have the decency to do it, which I would argue some somebody else did not. I love uh, I love all the scenes of the English actors trying to get into character. Um, 
the costume scene where they do sort of uh, like the costumer is almost doing uh, almost doing like a cultural comparison thing on an intellectual level for a second. Like, well, no, there are no there are no corsets per se, but this thing's kind of like a corset and it'll act as a corset for yeah, no, they just acted as corsets. That's, that's yeah. Why, I mean, it's just it's a it's a different kids. yeah. It's just a, yeah, a, accomplishing very similar goals with very, very like yeah. Again, you know you you know they they fail to like record they she kind of gets it she kind of doesn't right yeah but she does kind of get the idea that like well different cultures are concerned with different elements of of the body with regards right. to their sort of like fetishes at any given time right like. Right. You guys are definitely obsessed with like making this really intense hourglass shape right now. That's that's a you thing. Uh, yeah, the, and then the the both of the costumes. The are man's quite conversation. Yeah, yeah. I really like the, the man's man conversation costume. about the corsets. It's like, well, without a corset, I can't sing from the diaphragm. <laughs> um, it's very well, and it's too. weird. It, that one's a fascinating one because <laughs> it, it paints this picture of Gilbert where like. At times, he is fully aware of how much bullshit what he is doing is, yeah. and then you and you get a moment like that here where he's like, "What fucking theater do you think you're performing in?" Like, <laughs> yes. just fucking take the goddamn corset off. It, it is a very interesting scene because it is it is for a brief moment like this sort of like weird honesty, right? Yeah, but then we do get the moment in the woman's dressing room uh, during you know, setting up for the first production where they're all wearing their corsets. Uh, right, under, right. Under the, uh, under the kimonos. Um, so there's not really that much dedicated fidelity. No, here, and, and, and uh, I think that's... I, I do think that almost all of that is meant to be commentary, right? Like, oh, of like, course. Yeah. I mean... We end up with um, Lay doing a really interesting job here, right? He's he's talking about like there's all you know he's got this whole like all this dedication to fidelity and stuff, and then when push comes to shove, they're just doing more of the bullshit that they're always doing, right? Like, um, it's, right. That's it's it's all I think it's all very like I really do like this movie. I think the comedic bits come off extremely well. Oh yeah, uh, I think definitely. I think it's a, an extremely successful. I really enjoyed it. I I was down for it the whole time. I mean, like I had to I as a part of like what we talked about with regards to like you know, the fact that we're going to have to talk about some of this next week. I also had to like calm myself down while we were watching while I was watching this because it's like no no no. Yeah, Pat, yeah, yeah. You need to like it becomes really <laughs> obvious very quickly what Lay's doing and like he's he is lampooning right. these guys pretty hard yeah but like it's still hard not to get un like upset you know what i mean if that makes sense like even though you're like well i know that this person is just attacking this it still like feels uncomfortable to engage with it's it's hard yeah. to explain well next week we get we get to hit that more head on Right. Um, yeah, of course. So just of save course. those feelings. No, I mean, but um, actually in this movie, like what I mean is that like even when somebody is is doing it for the purposes of showing how bad something is, it can still be really like hard to reckon with. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, 
Oh, especially, like, especially we've seen it in other movies. It's not you're... the first movie that we've seen, like where they where they're like actively attacking like somebody's like racism right. or sexism or something like yeah. that. But Making... in order to make that point, they have to also make their audience uncomfortable, and I, it's all very understandable. I'm not co- like criticizing it. It's just like, oh boy, this can be kind of difficult to watch. Yeah, and of course, you know we've we've talked previously about how. Uh, I think one thing that particularly the scene with Gilbert bringing in the three women does is uh, make a sort of racist joke to make a joke out of racism. Right, which is always a uh, a, a kind of a lose lose proposition. Yeah. You're like yeah. I understand why every why they always feel a need to do it. I I get where yeah. it comes from, but you end up half you end up being the monster you're trying to attack uh yeah and yeah and like yeah and obviously you know Lee's, Lee's pointing out much much like you said about kabuki you know gilbert and sullivan are are something that is mass massively popular low level and you know this is this is true of shakespeare too uh in his original right right original day you know it's he's he's uh He's base. He's he's uh, entertainment for the masses, and of course, you know, being light operas, they're entertainment for a uh, developing bourgeois class. You know, right. they're not necessarily the uh, Gilbert and Sullivan stuff is not for the aristocracy. Maybe maybe the aristocracy will. You know, Sullivan meant royalty, right? Um, and you know, you get that you get that even within Britain today, where there's the annual. Uh, uh, royal variety show where where popular acts get to perform for a token representative of the royal family right. um uh but these this stuff is meant for mass appeal to to a middle class audience you know um shakespeare is meant for mass appeal to you know honestly primarily a a, a lower class audience but this is well it's just because you don't have a a, a defined and and robust middle class (laughs) at that point right like you just don't have right 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 yeah you can't perform by the 1880s we have that divine robust middle class of of merchants and and clerks or clerks if you're in britain no yeah we have Um, to say it the the correct way uh, according in order to improv correctly we have to pronounce it correctly but yeah like the kabuki that you were talking about in japan this is a uh, mass appeal art form that sort of gets venerated as as being very British and very popular because it's very British and very popular, of course. Um, right. But it, yeah. it gets it gets elevated to to at least historically speaking, high art. I, I was at, yeah. You know, I, I I compare it a little facetiously to Shakespeare. Shakespeare's higher art than than Gilbert and Sullivan. I mean, certainly he has still... more complicated rhyming schemes. <laughs> right. 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 And rhythms. <laughs> Because of that, you know, one of the things Lee is doing here is to to take that to to your popular thing, and this was just garbage. Yes. So the rarefication of 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 sort of low lower class art into like, I mean, you you do that right because you need to like prove that your culture is worthwhile, right? And so at right. some point, you've exhausted the sort of like the actual quote unquote high art, right? And now you have to start taking um, 
what wasn't high art and sort of like saying, well, it's very, it is very us, right? It's very British or it's very Japanese or it's very whatever. And you, and you say, and because it is very us, it must be very also good, right? It's usually right in some way part of sort of a sort of a national identity thing, like as sort of a national, uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's oftentimes a sort of like identity building exercise, probably somewhere along the lines uh, connected to nationalism, right? And uh, and yeah. uh, sort of growing sort of fascist sentiments and stuff. Um, it, and certainly, there was a lot of that going on in the mid twentieth century. So right, exactly, <laughs> all and around like, the world. And you and you just like you look at the things you've got and you say like, hey, like I mean. This is something that people liked. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. it must be you but, know, worthwhile. But Saul Yeah. What Lee is doing is saying, Oh, this thing that you've you've venerated, one, not only was it very dumb, but everyone really knows it's very dumb already. But also, uh all of these people were high all the time and they hated each other and <laughs> uh and they're only in it for the money and blah 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 blah. Yeah, and yeah, there's it combats that veneration, right. and to do it in such a joyous way, brightly colored, it's a beautiful production, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very it's not, fun, it, like it is surprising, like we talked about this right there at the very opening, but like it is surprisingly humorous and fun for something that is essentially an extremely dark story, right? Like it is a right this 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 whole thing comes from a very dark place. And I, I find that very impressive. Like, if you can make this kind of story into something fun to watch that is, like, truly amusing, like, truly entertaining, it's pretty amazing. Like, this is really phenomenal work. Yes. I mean, and the acting's so good. Like, the acting in this movie. Like, I mean, I, I did condemn the sort of improv process that got them there. And uh, probably again, yeah. as we, you know, we've talked about before. Like, uh, I'm an actor; that's my job. Um, was that all strictly speaking necessary to accomplish this goal? I don't know about that. But um, that being said, what the result is is very, very good, right? Like the people are, everybody's acting very, both comedic and convincingly at the same time. Um, you the you find the I like at least I do find the characters extremely compelling. Um, yeah. Most of them. Some of them are just annoying. And that's also the but point. But that's right? the point of them and that that is also compelling, right? Like yeah. it's like, oh, this this person's just a little shit and I hate them. Like that's their role yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Like almost all of the male actors who are part of the troupe are just I mean, they're they are annoying. the most actor actors to ever exist, right? That is that is the whole, yeah. the whole point, and I love it. I love I love, and the, I love shit like that. I really them, do. The worst of them get a comeuppance via bad oysters. Yep. Also very good, but too too early in the tale, right? Like it is it is it not it's that's, not too early fair. actually. Like I mean, it, it serves the story really well, but like it is yeah. very like um. Right. Instead of instead of a come comeuppance for how annoying they are through the course of the tale, it's directly a comeuppance for uh 
how terrible they are in response to uh, Khartoum. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Which is also good. Yeah, which is so, good. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. It is very good. It is it is well placed, right? Um, yeah. It's just that, like, uh, at the same time, it's like, yeah, I could have gotten, I could have gone for them getting one, one more kick in the ass uh, at the end of the movie too, you know? Because we do hate them, don't yeah. we? <laughs> is it actually the ending of the movie is is interesting because we get. We just get a zoom in on three different female characters from the movie. You know, we get we get Kitty once more lamenting that she is she has those empty old and has no children. Yes, yeah, yeah, all the empty perambulators in the in the attic, um, and that Gilbert is not interested. I mean, just in his just wife not like Gilbert and Sullivan are complete <laughs> yeah. obvious opposites. Gilbert yeah. absolutely adamantly does not want to fuck. Yeah. Um and and we have Sullivan's mistress uh announcing that she's pregnant again and Sullivan saying, "Well, we'll have to get that taken care of." And she she already knows that's the plan and has already put into motion. It's like, "Oh, you don't even need to worry about it." Oh, obviously with a with a bit of melancholy to her yeah well. and, like that, she and would, that's she would some, love to keep this child some very yeah. good like really astonishingly good acting right like she the, that that actor carries that off extremely well right like the, you just you can see it reads right. so well on her face um yeah and um the uh The one actress uh, who played Yum Yum, um, you know, singing The Sun Whose Rays. We get that in the closing sequences as well. Um, and, you know, her having been you know, alcoholic and her little her little problem that everyone keeps referring to as her little problem, which isn't the alcoholism, it's the fact that she has a son right. that we never meet, uh, is, yeah. So she gets she gets a moment in the spotlight too, right? After almost being fired from the production earlier, right? Uh, right. Well, I mean, it, it really because of her little problem. It is a fascinating. Um, it's a fascinating thing that 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 lady does here at the end, where he sort of. I don't. I, I'm not sure how to take it exactly, but you know, and I I've, yeah. I haven't really processed it's, it fully yet. But like this idea that like these people are essential to the story of Gilbert and Sullivan, but even like no matter what yeah. are all even in the production of this movie are somewhat uh right like pushed aside I can, right i can imagine that there exists footage or at least preparation because uh, we do get deleted scenes that aren't this um but i imagine that in the in the in the improv of writing the script there's an entire different movie that would be just as long dedicated to the women in Gilbert and Sullivan's life much more deeply. Right. We get a little bit with with the actresses, certainly. Um as much as we get with the actors, really. Uh but as far as Gilbert and Sullivan's loved ones, Kitty's always in bed and Gilbert's ignoring her, basically. And <laughs> Sullivan is rambunctious. Yeah, say. yeah, to so, say the least, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So to to have 
to have all of that poignancy in the coda. Uh, the uh, Amy Tobin's essay puts it, uh, it's as if all along there has been an entirely different film taking place beneath the one we've been watching. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's one way that you do historical realism is by by presenting presenting uh, characters that suggest that there is a lot more going on in this world. Right. Right. Um, I mean, there's another version of that where you just make it the story of those characters. But, you know, hey. Right. Right. And and it might have been it might have been better to have a little more of them in it. Yeah. but yeah, I suspect it to a certain to extent. At some way. point, it becomes a practical thing where you're just like, "Well, right. people want to see a movie yeah. about Gilbert and Sullivan. Like that's what they're going to pay us to see. That is what we're going to we're going to give them." Yeah. There's there's one part of this film that, after one viewing, I do not understand, and I wonder if you might have okay. Any insight I will for do it. my best. I am never full of insight, but I will try. Right. During the uh, during the opening night. Uh-huh. Gilbert can't watch the play. Right. He's too nervous. He is famous. And he is wandering that. the streets. Yes, yes. He is wandering the streets um, and is accosted by an elderly homeless woman? Yes. Maybe a prostitute? I don't know. Uh, and the last thing she yells is, who makes the world turn? Um, mm-hmm. And I just don't know why that why that whole sequence. Exists. I don't know. It is very weird, why, right? Why like, that particular know. interaction resists? It is. It is an odd one. I, I think. I. 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 My a takeaway from it. Okay, and this is just a hundred percent me. I do not know that this is accurate. Okay, my yeah. sort of takeaway was it on it was Gilbert and Sullivan's work is ostensibly, and this is just my sort of like sort of side understanding of it okay I, i'm not super familiar with the work but when i hear it described i hear it described this way that it is in many ways a, a ta- not attack but like a criticism of british society right like and 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 yeah and some and the faults of the way it handles like like hierarchies of relationships and stuff like that and I wonder to a certain extent, and this is my thought process on it, is that we show Sullivan wandering through the streets and he has that has that deep inbuilt contempt for... You're right. I pe- say Gilbert too and it is Sullivan, but yes. For people below yeah. him, nonetheless, right? Like he, he's got this desire to lampoon like the way that the British like like hierarchical system works and like and the way like these pompous like sort of pumped up people function and stuff but he is right but he in doesn't no way better than these that. people in the streets either right he yeah. he will he's not even he doesn't even just like like just just like kind of walk away he is like hyper aggressive with it right this sort of notion that like how dare she accost me right and the thing about it is right bear in mind he's wandering down her, was was basically her alley right or like her place right yeah. he's not he has wandered into her realm but he is he is so very british and so as a result he is right. so very certain that as a british man he's he, he you know what is that there's that famous saying i can't remember exactly what it is but it is like something in effect the ability to like walk down any street in the world unaccosted yeah. right like that's the power of the british right, empire right, right, or whatever, right. right um yeah and like he is 
not he has no has no real affinity or consideration for like the those people yeah. around him for, who for some reason when when she said when she yells who makes the world turn i immediately thought of bertolt brecht's a worker reads history mm-hmm. which that's not a line from a worker reads history uh and if if it were meant to be a reference to Brecht, there are plenty of better lines. <laughs> she could have just yelled at who built the pyramids. Um, but uh, A Worker Reads History is is essentially talks about all the great, uh, you know, the seven gates of Thebes, Thebes and, and the pyramids and, and, uh, and ask the question, you know, who actually physically did this stuff? Right. It's... It wasn't Frederick the Great. It wasn't. It wasn't Alexander the Great. It was the people on the ground. Um, so for a moment, I thought I thought it might be that, but like I said, that's not a line from that. Um, and I googled the line, and she actually says, "Who, who built the world, uh, asshole?" Um, right. Uh, I dropped the asshole when I searched for it because I figured that was embellishment if it was a reference to something. And unfortunately, who built the world in quotes only gets me Google results for uh, creationist websites. Right, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, the the so. age old problem, right? Like you, uh, yeah. you stumbled into yeah. the 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 classic problem. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It does feel sort of referential. I don't know what, um, yeah. but I don't. I don't know what. I I can't. I it is. Yeah, it, and also it, it's also quite possible that it is primarily there for like um, atmospheric purposes. That it's just like, hey, right. we need you to shout some some vaguely crazy lady shit at this person uh, to really like yeah. drive home right. that he and if it were is not where he belongs, yet he is like taken aback that like somebody would harass him, despite the fact that he is really right in somebody's home, basically. <laughs> Right, right, and it would be anachronistic if it were a Breck reference anyway, because Breck wasn't even born until eighteen ninety eight. But there you go. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. Well, switching gears a little bit, I do want to talk about uh, one of the bonus features. <laughs> the is, thing, a short is, film. A, is an amazing, like actually, like legitimately yeah. my favorite thing that we watched. I I think this was oh, amazing. Yeah. That's great. So Jim Broadbent, who who is also in our movie as as Gilbert, um. And Mike Lee made this short film that aired on on television. It was, I'm sure it was in, it was presented as a comedy. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm like, sure. I mean, it it of course. Like, I mean, but, although I here's the thing, right? Like, one of the things that it has going for it is the fact that like you get it, you can get just a certain amount into it without realizing you're watching yeah. a comedy, which is always the right. best way to do things. In my opinion, yeah, yeah, I I love this sort of genre uh, oh, of which I oh, also me put too. Uh, absolutely kunk, kunk on Britain into this <laughs> this sort of thing. <laughs> this very um, kunk, obviously, you know, she's meant to be dim witted and a jerk and and a dummy and and whatnot. Um, but uh, but yeah, Jim Broadbent here plays the twenty third Earl of Leet who is giving a tour of his estate to this film crew and slowly admits to more and more murders. <laughs> yeah, just a disturbing number. The funny thing is, is like, of course, because the, the descriptions on whether they're on Amazon or on Criterion Channel always fail me. 
Like the yeah. film crew, yeah. they describe it on the Criterion Channel, I believe, as the film crew slowly discovers things are more than they appear or something. And it's like, right. that's not at all what's happening in this movie. Did you guys watch the movie no. you're writing your commentary, your, right. like, uh, your blurb about? Yeah. Like, what would say? It is very good. That's just not the thing that's happening. Um, right. And what's, what is happening is uh, a very literal, hands-on, in-our-lifetime interpretation of all of the death that has led to this Earlhood to begin with. Right. Uh, it is. From We Came, o- we came Over... With uh, with, the, with willing the conqueror, yeah, and this is our ancestral land that we have had in perpetuity since 1066. Um, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, all of those, all of those. It's always been this way. Goes back to a to a starting point, right? And that starting point was also death. Um, but yeah, this guy. It's it's so good. It it's so well done. I love it so much. It's so funny, like the yeah. way that like he and then like the the when the movie feels like it's maybe gonna lose you, where it's like oh you know we're gonna uh, you know this is starting to get like not that interest you know you know it'll yeah. like pop a new surprise like his kid like his now kids coming over the hill to like uh like right tell my mommy's calling you for dinner or whatever. After he's just yeah. described murdering his previous children, it's so. Yes. Oh man, it's so good. I love it so much. Yeah, and the physical comedy of him in the water oh, while yeah. he still is so dryly pre- presenting these lines. Oh, it's very good. Um, and how he just you know, there's a line from that Adam McKay movie about uh, about the cra- the 2008 crash, uh, where uh, where they say. You know, they they ask why are they bragging, or why are they confessing, rather, and and the response is well they're not confessing they're bragging, right. Um, in the big short, uh, you know he <laughs> most of most of what he does for the first half of this short is is confession via brag, right. Uh, you know, he talks about talks about the increase in the land and how. How uh, well the first vast increase was was during the enclosure of vast tracts of land in the fifteenth and sixteenth right, which centuries. is its own like one that absolutely was just, like an admission, but also right. a uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the enclosure of the commons, but also he very shortly admits that it also had to do with the uh, the destruction of the the uh, monasteries. Um, and he also talks uh, talks about the industrialization of the farm. And talks about the other way they have uh, increased the size of the estate is by the casual destruction of the ancient forest on the right, property. Right, and um, and he does so a very a little... like a very like British nobleman sort of like like you hear it from um from uh you know uh, cor- corporate CEOs and stuff too. It's like I mean you know it really does sadden me to do it. Uh, right, right. To right. do this Point this ahead. this horrible thing. But you know, it's got to be done. I, to, I would have been, I would have been uh, like irresponsible to not have done it. Right, right, right. This is I'm a good steward for having done it this way, and it would be, it would have been a sin against the future generations of my family to have not done it. Yeah. Um, and when he talks about World War Two, it's like, well, I didn't, I, I didn't. I join love his, because I, I love the fact that it includes an admission of how much. The British uh, aristocracy was one hundred percent on Team Adolf Hitler. 
Oh yeah, it's so yeah, good. Absolutely. I mean, he like rationalizes it with his own sort of like bullshit version of it, but like just right. this sort of like a casual nod to the fact that like a thing that we all we all know. Uh, right. Of course, we had certain disagreements, but I always felt like he should have been on. A, we should have been on the same side. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and just the sheer amount of her. It's just, it is a hilarious short. It's, it's so very good. good. I'm glad I you had time it. to watch it. I, I mean, I did finish uh, the last like ten minutes, like right before we watched the we ta- we started talking. <laughs> right, but it's right, right. I, I, I was very much. I had to go to an uh, to to go teach, but like when I was watching it. But man, it is so fucking funny. Like actually, when I had yeah. to bail out, was right at the uh, where he's drowning his children. I had to like leave right at that moment. <laughs> oh, and I was no. like, oh okay. man. What are you gonna do, right? You gotta do what you yeah. gotta do, right? Right. It's very good. Yeah. Um, but it's included here uh, because in making this this short where someone talks about the history of the aristocracy, uh, Jim Broadbent and and Mike Lee were apparently this is the first time they started talking about the project that would become Topsy Turvy and talking about Gilbert and Sullivan and history and and making known why famous people are famous right right and what what their background is what the true story is so yeah it's a really fantastic piece of comedy uh in a vacuum um so yeah thanks criterion for showing that to me too yeah i i'm really glad we got that i i it, as you said like this is a genre i yeah, i don't get very much of it but it is a genre i adore is this this sort of like i mean i'm trying to think of other examples of it where the you, you where the the sort of the entire the premise is entirely serious but like it's just slowly sort of devolves right. over time is is just one of the funniest things on earth to me frankly it's compact. i could have watched a movie that was basically just this thing but uh the half an hour was a good was a good uh good time constraint but i i very much enjoyed it there's a bonus feature on the Criterion channel that uh, that is not on the DVD release. Okay. Uh, that is obviously a mistake. Um, okay. <laughs> which I found I found very odd because I've never experienced something like this before. Where the, the Criterion, Criterion Channel. I'm not surprised. Where the Criterion Channel yeah, just makes where, an abject mistake. Yeah. Uh, there is a... For some reason, under Topsy Turvy, there is a bonus feature called uh, Yoko Shimu- Shimizu. I saw that studio visit, and it's only five minutes. I didn't watch it. I just um, saw it, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" Shimizu is an artist who has done a lot of uh, Criterion covers. I don't think she did Topsy Turvy. Um, she might have. I really, I have no idea. But that entire five minutes is dedicated to the creation of the artwork for the Godzilla box set. It's got to just be a mistake, uh, right? Yeah, which not only not only uh and she talks about how Criterion first contacted her to do that, which means that she definitely didn't do the art for Topsy Turvy because Topsy Turvy was released by Criterion years before the Godzilla right. box set. So, so yeah, I don't know why it's in there. Um I did end up watching it uh just cuz it was there, but uh but yeah, it's definitely not related to Topsy Turvy at all. Well, it so wait, wait, when was uh, um Oh, interesting. When when was the Criterion Godzilla release? 
Uh, well, it's spine number one thousand, isn't it? Right, but like, there's an article uh, on here about uh, Yuko Shimizu making the new art prints for Pierre Lafo in 2015. Yeah, but the Godzilla box set would have been released around 2015. Was it? I'm so confused about. It. For some reason, in my mind, the Godzilla box set was released like last year. I know it's not. No, 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 no. like my brain does not. Uh, is not with the time so good. No I more. could be wrong. Maybe maybe she had been doing work for them before. I'm just reading an article on uh, Criterion Collection. It's actually the article for, uh, I think it's the article for the thing that's in Topsy Turvy, okay? It's called uh, Yuko Shimizu's Fresh Look for an Iconic Beast. But in it, I, what keyed me off was the fact that it's like related films and it had Topsy Turvy, the Mikado at the bottom. So there's a line in there that says, uh, the award-winning illustrator, who has previously brought her eye-popping two-dimensional style to the Criterion releases of the three sam- uh, the Samurai Trilogy, The Ballad of Narayama, The Mikado, and Topsy-Turvy, details the process behind her artwork for the Godzilla set. So she, I I think maybe whatever she said in uh, the Criterion, I did not watch this feature, okay? the Yeah, I I did, and she didn't say anything that seemed to suggest it was about anything but Godzilla. It's it really. So. I mean, well, it it is about Godzilla. Like that's the thing is like the article yeah. here is like talks about the process of making the Godzilla box set. That's what the video is about. But because you know the video set contains a whole bunch of illustrations, right? One for every film, right? She made an illustration for every film in that box set, the Showa era box set or whatever. Um. Yeah. So, like, that's cool. It's just, it seems like, you know, what, I don't know what release, I don't know what year the release of Topsy Turvy, but it also seems like it's specifically for a specific release of Topsy Turvy. Yeah, it might have been an updated the blue, release. The Blu-ray, not, because. This might not be the original um, artwork. All of those films, for the most part, are after this one. Like, right? Like, the the Samurai right. Trilogy is, like, really late. It's, like, 1149 or something. Godzilla is a thousand. Um, it really seems like this yeah. is actually the first one that they hired her to do. Uh, I mean, the Battle of Narayama's, Narayama is pretty soon. It's not that far away. It's six forty-five. But I don't know. It's 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 interesting. It's just it seems like they decided to feature the Godzilla set probably because it is such an expansive work, right? There's so many illustrations inside right. of that box set, right? Rather than just being a cover. It is a is it really is it is the box itself is its own sort of artistic uh, uh, sort of expression right like uh, so it's just interesting I now we know why it's in there it's just sort of like it does feel like that belongs more aptly in the Godzilla box set but uh, hey you know what and I'm sure it actually is in the Godzilla probably box it probably set. Is like I said it's not double, listed right? it's not listed at all as a uh, as a bonus feature of. Of topsy turvy on the Criterion website. My so. suspicion is like I, I, my actually like in, uh, like to kind of change my my tune. My guess is they have some sort of like tagging system that just picked yeah. up the fact that she is noted as the bo- the cover artist for those other works. And so I bet if you go to any of them, they have the same interview uh, in them. You know, right, right. I think that's probably true. Mm. So, uh, I'm glad you watched it. I didn't. I did not because I am, um, yeah, bad at this podcast. Well, in uh, in six years, uh, you can watch it again. 
or I can watch it again, and you can watch it. I'll watch it again uh, for when the first it's actually time appropriate. You uh, you watch it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. It's yeah. a. It's a. Yeah. It seems interesting. I, I her work is really fascinating. So. Um. Yeah. So. Uh. Topsy turvy. I don't yeah. have well a, her artwork for. I will say her artwork for Topsy Turvy is actually really it is very it's really fun too because it's uh, Gilbert it is it's it is Gilbert and Sullivan's heads like a together to look at and, yeah. and I really love it for that yeah. I I really like it when art gives me a very mild headache right I, I, right, I and right. I'm not I'm not being facetious I I really like I like it when a person's artwork does this fuck like mind fuck to me I I don't know it's always really exciting. So I, I really do enjoy it. Uh, the Mikado one is really interesting. I really like the Mikado. I think the, of the ones we have here, uh, sort of at our, uh, I suppose, I think the Mikado one is really, really interesting. Uh, like It's not a mind fuck. Yeah. It's not anything like that way, the way uh, Topsy Turvy is. But I, I, I think the Mikado one is really an interesting look at yeah, it's pretty. her playing with the themes that we've been talking about, but in sort of illustrated right. formats. It, I, yeah. Right. Yeah. And we're talking about it now, so we won't talk about it next week. Uh, but of course, I think it might come up again next week. There's I, the aspect. Things there's easily. the aspect of. <laughs> it's hard to look at it not as laundering, even though it is Criterion trying to fix mistakes of the past. <laughs> By have, I'm hiring a Japanese artist to do the artwork for the Mikado. But, um, but my impression is, uh, regardless of what their intentions were, uh, Shimizu did not would have none of that shit, <laughs> and decided to make right, a thing right, right, right. that is that really uh, hangs a fucking lampshade on what exactly Absolutely. this movie, this store, this like work is right. Um, right. And I, I really find that it's a very admirable, pe- admirable piece of work. I, I think. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's to really well, just we like will, hammer it home. We'll have an opportunity to talk more about that as we talk about the 1939 uh, film version of the Mikado, directed by Victor Schertzinger. Like I said, that's not important information. Schertzinger had a had a career directing uh, Silence and and Talkies. But uh, and composing for for uh, early work too, but it doesn't seem like he did anything worthwhile. <laughs> and there's certainly nothing else in the criteria. Right, it is, it is other than the Mikado. purely because it is the first yeah, filmed adaptation of uh, Gilbert and Sullivan's work. Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and, I'm I'm know, excited to talk about it. I'm not excited necessarily to. I, I'm of a really mixed opinion because I'm excited to watch it because I feel like it will be good for me to know what it is exactly but i also suspect it will be a very unpleasant experience but maybe it won't be (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure uh i know you never know right uh also maybe it will depend on my mood so come back next week to find out what kind of mood to talk about the adventures well when he was forced to watch this i mean listen i know what mood you're going in just by <laughs> we'll be talking about the adventures of Coco and Yum Yum and Pooh Bah and Nanky Poo yes. in in the town of Titty Poo. Uh, <laughs> I know what mood you're going to be in, Pat. I mean, 
like I said, it's and I'm going to be in the same whether mood. or not I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt about how much that the setting is important, right? For the story, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. I, my impression is I will not be in a good mood. Um, so even if this, yeah, yeah, again, like I said, John whatever it is, we'll talk about it more next week. Things yeah. in, a, in a made up place. Um, right, right, and not pre- not pretend that Titty Poo is actually Japanese. Right, yes, and not just a joke. Yes, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm, but we will talk about it next week. Um, I will, I will yeah. brace myself. I'll probably drink. That's my current plan. <laughs> I will probably, I will. I, it's not a thing I do very often for the podcast, but I will probably drink some alcohol while I watch that movie to sort of numb yeah. myself a little. Bit. I think. I think that's forgivable. Yeah. This week we've been talking about Topsy Turvy from Mike Lee from 1999, the biopic of Gilbert and Sullivan and the creation of the Mikado. Next week we were talking about a film version of the Mikado. Uh, what a great pair that should be one, one Should DVD, have been one DVD hey, release. Most assuredly. That's okay. At least, at least instead of an entire film version of the Mikado being a bonus feature on this, we got the delightful short film, A Sense of History. Yes, that is very, uh, very Which I'm good. also very happy to have watched. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oja, Jared Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Obertari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.